It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. Hey, I'm reporter Monica Eng. Curious citizen Ed Corcoran has been hearing a lot about natural disasters lately. The wildfires in the West, uh, the risk of earthquakes in Los Angeles and San Francisco, the hurricanes that, that hit recently in Houston and in Florida and Puerto Rico, um, just seeing all that happen in the world and thinking, you know, all that hasn't really happened in Chicago, what, what can get us? So he asked Curious City if Chicago is vulnerable to any kinds of natural disasters. Ed knows tornadoes can happen here. We sometimes get huge snowstorms. And he wonders about another factor. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in finding out how climate change can affect these things. I mean, the hurricanes that have been hitting, um, that seems to be made worse by climate change. So I'm wondering, how will that change? As climate change um, changes Chicago's climate, are we going to have hotter summers and colder winters? Are we going to have warmer winters? Are we going to have more or less snowpocalypses? To answer both of Ed's questions about Chicago's vulnerability to natural disasters and how climate change will affect the city, I sat down with Suzanne Malik-McKenna. She's been working on this very issue for more than 20 years. And as former commissioner of the environment for Chicago, not only did she plan for disasters, but her job also required her to think about the ways climate change may make Chicago more vulnerable to nature's extremes. And she says for Chicago, there's good news and bad news. So we started with the good news. The good news is we're not going to get some of the catastrophic storms we've been seeing just even in the last month. Hurricanes, tidal waves, you know, even some earthquakes that are much more intense along the coasts. We're in a place where we have more fresh water uh, than anywhere in the United States and 20 percent of the world's surface water in the world. Uh, And that's really good news for us. Okay, now time for the bad news. So unfortunately, um, in any place in the country in the world, we're already seeing climate change from our previous emissions, and um, it will likely continue. And what we're seeing is extremes. It's all about extremes. So extreme heat, extreme cold, extreme rain, extreme drought. Those are our biggest challenges. So let's start with extreme rain. What does that mean? Well, it means that our storms are much more intense So we're getting way more rain than we can possibly handle, and our sewers and our water systems completely overflow, oftentimes having to be um, released into our lake. And we've already seen some of that, like, recently. That's correct. I mean, even this year, look at Lake County. There was a lot of flooding in Lake County. Um, So these, when you're getting, you know, 10 inches overnight, we're getting an inch an hour. It may not sound a lot, you know, to us, but when you think about the volume across all of our land— Our pipes just can't handle it. There's just not enough capacity because we weren't built considering these types of things. And so what are the consequences of flooding? Well, there's quite a few, actually, and probably a lot of our listeners know that because their basement has backed up with sewage, for instance. Um, Our pipes just can't possibly handle it all. And since we have combined sewers, both water and sewage together, anything that backs up that's in those pipes is going to go into people's basements. And we see that quite a bit. Besides that, just regular flooding damage and the mold and things like that that come from that, just absolute damage there. And then you think about our productivity, our transportation systems. When our underpasses are flooded, trucks can't go through. Productivity across the city, our economic life, doesn't continue the way it should because things can't flow. So what about heat waves? Well, again, since it's about extremes, we can have them and sometimes we don't, right? We can have a cool summer and it seems strange. But when we get long, extensive periods of 90 degrees and even hit 100, 
again, this native, our natural systems here aren't used to that. And in 1995, we had more than 700 deaths related to it. Right. And so I think the city is prepared much, way better. Now, our forecast for the Great Lakes um, by some of the best scientists in the world um, suggest that if we keep at the level we're going as far as emissions, um, we're going to see potentially 30 days of 100-plus degree temperature and 90 days of 90-plus degree temperature on average per year. Again, that's the worst-case scenario, but can you even imagine half of that? It's extreme. And so then you have energy usage and you have people trying to keep cool, especially our low-income communities that may not have air conditioning. It's a real problem. And so what's the time frame on that prediction? Are we talking about next year or is it farther out? These forecasts are around 2060 or 2070, which sounds like a long way away, um, but it's not as long as we think. Certainly, we've seen, um, I think the last three or four years, it's been the hottest year on record. The next year is the hottest year on record. This past year was the hottest year on record. So we're continuing to see that. Next up, in terms of likely natural disasters to cause damage to Chicago? Ed mentioned snowstorms, snowpocalypse. We need snowpocalypses. They're really actually quite good for us because that is natural uh, precipitation that doesn't flow off quickly. So it can absorb into the soil. It also serves as an insulation blanket for the species we want to keep around. Now, the danger of it snapping limbs and our power lines is another story. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as far as the health of our region, snow is actually a good thing. So let's talk about preparation and mitigation. How can we prepare for, say, flooding? What's Chicago to do about that? So it's all about the word resiliency. And and we're really hoping everybody embraces that because it's extremely important. It's also very hopeful. So we need to prepare to have a resilient region. And that goes into pretty much any infrastructure that we build. Our roads, our pipes, um, our railroads, our buildings, our pavement, all those types of things together, if we're planning them um, so that they're more resilient, they can handle temperature shifts, for instance, or we have more opportunity for absorption of rain, we're going to be in better shape. And indeed, a lot of that is happening. The city's doing permeable alleys. And uh, the Morton Arboretum and other places are doing permeable parking lots, for instance. And those are things where the water can seep underneath what seems like asphalt? Exactly. Exactly. So it works just the same, um, but it's allowing the water to go there instead of in pipes. And the other aspect of that, which is really important, is lighter colors. Asphalt is very dark, and it creates more of what we call the urban heat island, um, where you just get these extreme heat pockets, if you will. If you use what's called high albedo or really reflective colors and surfaces, you basically get rid of the urban heat island or at least dramatically reduce it. How does something like a permeable alley help us in a flood event? Well, it's what it's doing is it's taking away that amount of volume um, and putting it in the ground instead of adding to the pressure that's going into the pipes. So for instance, a lot of people disconnect their downspouts and let that go into the alley. And we found even if you do that all along the block, it still has two-thirds more capacity to Hmm. take water. So if you imagine all those homes not going into the sewer pipes, you are really reducing the volume that that what we call sewer shed has to handle. So a lot of this depends on infrastructure, and infrastructure projects are decided by legislators. What is the most effective thing a citizen can do to make sure that we're really paying attention to these things? 
Well, I think it's important to connect with your alderman. I think a lot of people don't know who their alderman is, and we have 50 of them in the city. Uh, they all are there, and they see each department during the budget hearings and either support or don't support what they're looking for. Uh, the Department of Transportation is really critical because they're doing all of our roadways. Department of Water Management's doing the pipes along with them, and the Bureau of Forestry is planting the vegetation. So those three entities are really critical and oftentimes face budget cuts. Um, it's hard to balance <laughs> the different things you need, but uh, I think there's a lot of great things happening, but a lot more needs to happen, and the money needs to be set aside for it, which is hard to say when you have troublesome budgets. But more and more people have shown, more research has shown, investing now, huge cost savings, even in 10 years. So that's the kind of thing a, a citizen can advocate for through their aldermen, uh, through the businesses that are doing developments. Uh, all of those different types of groups could really make a difference. So the average guy could tell their alderman, I really care about infrastructure to prepare for climate change. Right. They could. And they can go to their block club meetings because the aldermen listen to them and their police beat meetings. Um, all of those types of places, if you're organizing the voices, uh, more of it will be heard. So we've heard the good news, the bad news, the ideas for preparedness, mitigation and adaptation. Overall, how worried should Ed feel about natural disasters in Chicago? Well, I would say, first of all, I'm eternally optimistic type of person. And so I think hope is a fine way to feel, being hopeful, because I think the city, the county, a lot of our agencies and partners are really focusing on this. And nationally, um, not necessarily government-wise, but certainly foundations and a lot of players have combined together to deal with these types of issues. So I would say hopeful, concerned, and activated. Because there are things that Ed can do and everybody else can do, not only to reduce the amount of climate impacts, but also adapt for a resilient region by doing some things that reduce the kind of impacts we have here. I relayed what Suzanne Malik McKenna told me back to our questioner, Ed. He was glad to hear we're not at risk of a hurricane or earthquake. But like Malik McKenna, he did have some concerns about funding for preparedness. I'm still concerned that our you know, state, city, and county governments uh, won't be willing to make the investments needed to build this resiliency to floods, droughts, heat waves, etc. Important infrastructure that's not sexy, but that keeps citizens safe and healthy just hasn't been something we've consistently invested in. And as far as being, quote, activated? I definitely want to get a hold of my alderman and make sure that he's aware of these issues. And this is something that's on his roadmap. And given Chicago's relative safety, Ed raises a new question. I am curious that, you know, over the next 50 years or so, is this going to cause some reverse migration, um, you know, from the Sunbelt regions, from Florida, where, you know, for the past 50 years, people have been moving from Chicago there for weather. And now will they come back for weather? Actually, Chicago's making preparations to receive thousands of Puerto Ricans potentially displaced by Hurricane Maria. Perhaps a sample of what's to come? Reporting came from me, Monica Eng. Support for Curious City comes from the Conan Family Foundation. If you're looking for things you could do to help reduce the impact of climate change, Suzanne Malik McKenna sent us some suggestions. You can see them on our website at wbez.org slash Curious City. I was burned out from exhaustion, buried in the hail, poisoned in the bushes and blown out on the trail. 
hunted like a crocodile, ravaged in the corn. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the sun. Next time on Curious City, Halloween's around the corner, and you know what that means. It's time to bike through Chicago's Rose Hill Cemetery. Wait, that's not your tradition? Well, even if it was, bikes aren't allowed there, but cars are. Should you ride a silent, non-polluting vehicle and they will stop you immediately. Rose Hill isn't the only one. Why some cemeteries prefer to keep the bikers out. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause. And rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.